Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Our centennial is coming up. We have, celib- we have been a church for the, for the last 100 years. And, uh, and so we are celebrating because it's been 100 years. It's time we throw a party. And uh, so we're going to throw a party. And uh, invitations have been sent for the party. But here's the thing. We know that we have missed people with our invitations that we have sent. And so if on your Christmas card list there are people that need to be invited to the church's centennial, will you please let Pastor Bill know in the office here at the church? Let us know who we need to be inviting and who's not been invited yet to the centennial so that we can make sure to to invite anybody. If there are people around town who were in the past an active part of our church who are no longer, but you see them around town and you want to invite them, it would be great. It would be a great opportunity for folks who maybe have been engaged and who are no longer engaged in in the life of our congregation to just get an invitation to let them know that their contribution through the life, the history of this church, it matters. It matters because we're still here and and they have a piece of, of who we are today. And we want to celebrate everyone's history with this great church. And so if you know folks and you see them and you want to take an invitation, Pastor Bill has invitations in the office that you could just give to somebody if you want to just carry around an invitation to our centennial. It points people to our website, uh, and on our website there's a, a, a page that's the centennial that's on the top menu if you go to firstnas.com, and so you can find our website or find the centennial page on our website, and it will. It gives lots of information about our centennial event, the whole schedule, and everything that's happening, and some cool pictures. So check it out, firstnas.com. Also, our digital bulletin is available on firstnas.com. And then this week, I'm trying something new. I'm trying something new this week. And so uh, we've never done it this way. Uh, So we're going to do something new. And uh, I'm going to, at 6 a.m., on Thursday morning, via Zoom, I'm going to have a prayer time. And I know some of you are thinking, 6 a.m., there's one of those in the morning? And uh, I know there are some of you who are thinking, 6 a.m., why the middle of the day? Because you wake up at 3, and, uh, and your day's already, already halfway over by then. So 6 a.m., on Thursday morning, uh, I'm going to be connected via Zoom, and I am there to lead us in a time of prayer. It'll be a time of prayer for half an hour to maximum 40 minutes because it's a free Zoom meeting. So I can't go longer than 40 minutes. And uh, so maximum 40 minutes. And it will not be, you will not be called on to pray. Uh, it will be me guiding you in how to pray. And uh, I, we will... We may do some request sharing, but mostly it will, be, it will be us, me, attempting to guide you into God's presence, to, to practice God's presence, to be in God's presence, but then also uh, we'll pray specifically for some needs in the church, specifically for, for some strategic things. We need to pray as a church uh, for the ministry of the church, and so this will be a time to pray on mission for the church. So... So that's coming. That's coming on Thursday morning, and uh, I hope 
I hope you'll join me. The, the reason I mentioned the digital bulletin, so firstnas.com, there's a spot you can click that's this week, or you can go to firstnas.com slash this week, and you can get to our digital bulletin. There's a link there to the Zoom at 6 a.m. on Thursday. You can go click it right now. It'll say, your host has not yet started this meeting. And so, uh, and I'll get an email that you're waiting. And uh, so you can do that. You can do that. And I'll also put some links on Facebook leading up to it. So, so as you know. I, uh, I forgot to pray for a specific need in our church. I'm sorry. I'm looking around, and I see Kathy Jones back there, and I didn't pray for Dwayne. And Dwayne was in the hospital last week, and uh, I hope he's watching. Hi, Dwayne, if you're watching today. Uh, he, he is in a life care center recovering right now. And I'm just going to stop and pray for him because I forgot. And so why don't we just do that? Our Heavenly Father, we lift up our brother Dwayne to you. Um, God, we thank you that he, he has uh, recovered to the point that he can come out of the hospital, that he doesn't need to be uh, hospitalized anymore. But Lord, we ask that you would continue to heal his feet specifically. He's got all this pain in his feet and he's been unable to walk. And so Lord, we pray that you would just heal his feet uh, he went through this surgery that he thought was going to help, and, and then it's just been kind of frustration after frustration since then. And so, Lord, we pray that you would heal Dwayne's feet, that he would be able to walk without pain. I pray that you'd be with him while he's in, in Life Care Center and uh, not able to be visited by Kathy, but two times a week. And that's hard for, for a couple that loves each other and cares for one another the way Dwayne and Kathy do. And so I pray that you would give them grace for these days. And may it, be, may it be short days, may it not be long weeks, but may it be just a short period of time before Dwayne is well enough that he's able to go home and move around on his own. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm sorry I forgot to do that in our prayer time, but that's important that we pray for Dwayne. So uh, we prayed for you if you're there, Dwayne, and... Uh, We'll keep praying for Dwayne. Okay. Now I'm ready to talk about uh, the Bible. I'm in, I'm in Luke chapter 24 this morning. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 24, it's the last chapter in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it, uh, so have you ever had your perspective completely changed? Have you ever changed completely your perspective on anything? Like, you look at the same old stuff that you used to see in one way, and now you see it a different way. Like, you used to see, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything that's, like, going to make anybody mad. So I'm just going to. Have you ever had your perspective changed? Um, there, I listened. In seminary, I got, I got kind of into folk music, if you can imagine. Uh, I liked folk music a little bit, and there's this folk uh, singer named Dave Wilcox, and David Wilcox, he has a CD of songs and stories. It is like, um, it's something that I'll listen to in my camper van down by the river uh, when, when that day comes. It's, uh, it's great stuff. He, he tells a story on that CD of him arguing with his significant other, either his wife or his girlfriend, and she restates her case in such a clear and perfect way that he is now no longer on his side of the argument, but he is completely in her side of the argument. 
And he sees so clearly from her perspective all the same data, all the same, the same things they were fighting about, but so clearly from her perspective that he can actually no longer get into his perspective and see what he was arguing for. He no longer understands why there was an argument at all because she is so right and he was so wrong. Uh, and he says, and as he says it, he says, uh, I've been, been looking forward to this happening. I can see it coming, like it happens more than once for him. Uh, that's amazing to me, because never once that Alyssa and I have been arguing have I stated my case so clearly that she has come completely into my position, and she can no longer see her own position. So... I don't know if it's just something that folk singers say or, or if it really happens, but he says it's like a figure ground image. And so on the, in my PowerPoint here, I have some figure ground images. Uh, there, there are two pictures here in this image. This is a famous one that maybe you've seen before. There's, what do you see? A lady, is she old or is she young? Some people are saying old, some people are saying young. There's both. It's both. It's a, it, either that's her ear and her nose and her mouth is the little thing around her, around the young lady's neck, or that's like a kind of like a choker, and that's her neck and her chin. Anyway, do you see both? Okay. <laughs> Jacob just saw both. Uh, and then the next one, this one's a newer one to me. Oh, right there. I only see, okay. Do you see, do you see a face or do you see a saxophone player? You see both, both. Excellent. Well done. This is, you need another minute, Julie? <laughs> <laughs> I, I carry the, I have the ladies, that one. Uh, I have it on a piece of paper that I carry in my journal with me because I love that type of image. I love that idea that something can be both, right? That uh, not, ev not every situation is as we perceive it initially. Not everything is what meets the eye. And that's kind of why I keep something like that where I see it pretty frequently. I see it pretty frequently and it reminds me not everything is exactly what I see on the outside. Not everything is exactly the way I see it, even. And so that's, that's helpful for me. This morning, I'm, I'm looking at the second story that I've looked at uh, during this season before Pentecost of, of Jesus appearing to people between his resurrection on Easter Sunday and his ascension to heaven 40 days later. And these stories are, are unique and, and sort of strange. Jesus just doesn't, it doesn't behave as he is expected to behave in these stories. And so he, like in this story, he's kept from being recognized. God keeps him, people from recognizing him. Or, or he like just shows up out of nowhere. Just, there he is. And, or he disappears and he's just gone, right? Like, no, no explanation, no details, just here, there, gone. And, and so I have a lot of questions about, about this time in Jesus's life. Particularly, I'm, I'm curious, like, 
where was he most of the time? He has like so much unaccounted for time. And I want to know like, who was he, who is he hanging out with? Like, was he teaching the disciples every day and it's just not recorded? Or was he like disappearing for, for weeks at a time and then showing back up? And, and, uh, I get a sense, I get a sense that Jesus is just not willing to be controlled. Um, He's not, he's not willing to show up when Peter wants him to show up. You can't make dinner plans with Jesus in these days, right? He just, he will not be, uh, he will not be told what to do. And you know what? That's pretty good for me to remember. <laughs> it is good for me to remember that Jesus does not behave as I tell Jesus to behave. Jesus doesn't show up when I tell Jesus to show up. Jesus is you know, the God who created the universe, and he will not be beholden to a curfew that I try to impose upon him. It's Jesus's galaxy, and so it's Jesus's rules. And so Jesus acts the way Jesus wants to act. And in the story we're looking at today, Jesus appears, and, and he, he does some amazing things, and then he's just gone. Just gone. Nowhere. And, and uh, so let's look at it. It's in Luke 24. It starts in verse 13. And, uh, and I'm just going to go, I'm going to go like paragraph by paragraph, and I'm going to talk a lot as I read the story. I'm going to read between the lines a little bit. So here's what Luke says. Luke 24, verse 13 and 14 say, that same day, two of Jesus's followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Okay, so everything that had happened up to this point is that this is, this is the day. This is Easter Sunday, the Easter that Jesus' tomb was empty. So earlier this morning, according to Luke's telling of the, of the day, some women went to the tomb to find Jesus to prepare his body for burial, and they found it empty, and there was an angel there. And the angel said he wasn't, he wasn't there. He wasn't dead anymore. And the women didn't know what to think. They ran back to the disciples and told them. The disciples said, crazy women, that's not true. But Peter went to the tomb, and he found that it was empty. The angel didn't appear to Peter, or Luke doesn't tell us that. And, uh, and Peter went back confirming that it was true. But there's still a lot of question marks, lots and lots of question marks. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, what's happening here? The women saw it. They're not known to be dishonest, but can we really trust them? Peter went. He couldn't find the body. He couldn't. He didn't see the angel. Maybe. And so there's lots of questions. Lots, lots of questions. Lots to talk about as you walk to Emmaus. And th- this is really, this is really interesting to me. And I don't know if it's if it's pertinent or not. But it's interesting to me to consider these two people who, who Luke identifies as followers of Jesus. These two people, uh, followers of Jesus, who, who were very concerned, very concerned about all that had happened. They were very concerned about Jesus and about his, his crucifixion, uh, about his missing body at this point. And, uh, and it kind of reminds us, it's, it's an interesting insight, I think, to Jesus's life and ministry, that there, there are more than just the 12. You know, we, we realize that there are more than just the 12. The Gospels talk about 
the 70, this larger group of people who were like pretty committed followers of Jesus, even sent out to, to teach about Jesus. And then the crowds, the people that like kind of come and go and, and show up when Jesus is feeding people because there's free food and then like running away when Jesus says, um, you know, I'm the bread of life and you have to eat my body in order to see God. Uh, and, and so there's these like different groups. And, and so these, these two people that are identified as followers of Jesus who, who on the first day possible, uh, because this is the first day that's not like Sabbathy after Jesus's crucifixion. Uh, this is the first day possible that they could leave Jerusalem, and they are leaving Jerusalem. They're going to Emmaus, and we don't know. We can only speculate what their errand is, but they're they're heading to to Emmaus. They're leaving town. They are not with the rest of the disciples, um, and it just. Maybe, just maybe, it could be that the group of people that followed Jesus was, like, kind of fluid. Like, Jesus definitely traveled with an entourage, right? He definitely traveled with, like, a pretty big group of people. And, uh, I mean, can you imagine 13 grown men walking down Main Street, Lewiston? Like, I would see that, and I would think, I hope their wives know where they are. This, there is, there is trouble brewing, if there are 13 grown men walking somewhere around Lewiston, Idaho, right? Uh, it, if, but then imagine, like, it's not just 13. There's also the women, right? The women are the first ones at the tomb. The women are, like, very devoted followers of Jesus. They are the ones who take it upon themselves to go deal with Jesus' body on Easter morning. And so there's the women, and then there's, like, 70 more, and then maybe larger groups so when Jesus traveled, when Jesus traveled, even if it's just the 13, he caused a scene during his ministry, right? 13 grown men are showing up. 13 grown men just walked into town, and they're hungry. Who's going to feed them? Like this, this is, Jesus's presence would have been disruptive anywhere he went if he was going with the disciples, right? There's no way it wasn't. That's just interesting to me. I don't know if it's pertinent, but that's interesting to me. So they're following, they're walking, they're talking. Okay, where am I at here? They're talking about everything. Sorry, I got off, I got off track. Why don't we move on to verse 15? In verse 15, Luke continues, he says, As they walked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. Uh, and this makes me, takes me back to, to my fascination about what was Jesus like between, between resurrection and ascension. I'm just so curious. I'm just like, I have no answers. I'm just really curious. It's, it's fascinating to me. Um, and I don't really understand in this story why it was necessary for them to not recognize Jesus, right? I, it seems like Jesus would have more authority. He would have more authority to say and to teach what he wants to teach them if they recognized him. If they recognized him, they would immediately worship him and they would immediately say, teach us everything we need, we need to know. How did we not understand that this was coming? Tell us, tell us everything, Jesus. But he doesn't do that. He's Jesus. He gets to do what he wants. Like, I can't control him still. Uh, 
But the, it's just sort of, it's, it's fascinating to me. And, and uh, Jesus uses it, uses the fact that they don't recognize him as sort of an opportunity to play dumb. He, he sort of plays dumb. And so uh, check it out. And, and they get to speak for a while. So verse 17, I'm going to read verse 17 through 21 now. And this is what Luke tells us. He says, he asked them, this is Jesus asking them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. One of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. So Jesus sort of, he sort of plays dumb. And uh, he lets the disciples or these followers explain what had happened to him. He lets them talk. And, uh, and, he, and they tell him about this leader that they were following that they thought was going to be the Messiah. And Cleopas is the, is the name of the guy. I, I think it's interesting. It's just interesting that Cleopas' name is mentioned specifically. It makes me wonder if Cleopas was somebody that was a known quantity in the early church. That, like, it's at least Luke citing his source, right? Luke is saying, I heard this story from Cleopas. I am not making this up, folks. This is, this is Cleopas' story. And, and people in the early church, like, Maybe they knew Cleopas. Maybe, they, maybe it was Luke saying, like, don't take my word for it. Go talk to Cleopas because he lives over there. And everybody knows where Cleopas is. Uh, so that's always interesting when, when kind of a no-name name is, is mentioned in, in the New Testament. It's always kind of fascinating. So anyway, Cleopas, uh, he, he indicates just how widespread knowledge about Jesus should have been at this point. He's like, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know all of this. Like the whole, the whole city has been wrapped up in this. I mean, imagine a week before Jesus rode into the city on a donkey and the whole city was, was in an uproar over Jesus coming into the city on a donkey. And, and I mean, it caused such a scene that the religious leaders were like, ooh, what are we gonna do about that, Right? And they took care of business during that week. Uh, and, and so the, this, this is really widespread, Je the Jesus story. And, and these followers are amazed that anybody could have been in Jerusalem and not talking about the news, right? How can you know the news and not be talking about it? And in their summary, their, their summary of Jesus and his ministry, it's, 
It's important, <laughs> it's particularly important because it helps me make one of my pet points. It helps me, like, it's, it's uh, I've been trying to make this point, like, since I got here three months ago, and here it is just so beautifully displayed in the Bible. Uh, I'm just going to revel in my glory now that uh, the, the Bible just totally confirms exactly what I've been saying all along. And that is, uh, in these words of Cleopas, he says in verse 19, Jesus was a man from Nazareth, and he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all people. And then skipping down to verse 21, so he was those things, right? No question about it. And then verse 21, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And then obvious implication, like we could add out of the mouth of Cleopas at this moment, but obviously he is not because he went to the cross and died. Because messiahs don't die. The truth about Jesus in, verses, in verse 19, he was a prophet. He was a mighty teacher. Those haven't changed. We had hoped, that is the pluperfect of the English language, ladies and gentlemen, that means it was a hope. It is no longer a hope. It stands in the past, and it's not coming back. There is no hope that Jesus is the Messiah for these followers. Done. We get a sense that this kind of struck a nerve. It struck a nerve to them to have to recount the whole story in verse 17 before all this because Luke tells us in verse 17, they stop short, sadness written across their faces. <laughs> they, they, were, they were distraught. They had... They had to tell the whole thing to somebody. They had to kind of, like, this is, this is kind of burying their souls. We, we had hoped. We had hoped. The disciples had their hopes and dreams destroyed by Jesus' death on the cross. They had reshaped their identity around this belief they had that Jesus was sent by God to change the course of human history. And when Jesus died on Good Friday, they could no longer go on believing that. Because the, the person they had hoped for could not have died. <laughs> oh, may it be said of us that our hope is so centered on Jesus mm, that all that, that our identity 
comes from our hope that we have in him. I would love to be the type of person who takes steps of faith so great, so big, that if Jesus doesn't come and bail me out, (laughs) I look like a fool. I'd rather be foolish taking a step of faith to follow Jesus than than be whatever the alternative is. (laughs) Now, may it be said of us, And so the disciples, and even this wider group of followers, people like Cleopas and his companion on the way to Emmaus, they, in light of Good Friday, they had to reconfigure uh, their identity. All of their hopes, all of their hopes are past tense now. They, They are gone. They have to figure out who they are. Okay, continuing on in verse 22, Luke says, uh, through Cleopas, then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And so, as the followers of Jesus are agonizing over over all that had happened, they had this report on Sunday morning. They had this report on Sunday morning that the tomb was empty, the women had been there, they'd seen an angel, they came back, Peter went to confirm, and sure enough, the tomb was empty. And it's just, they're not, they're not sure. And we don't really know, like, it seems like there's some hope in what Cleopas and his friend are saying to Jesus. They say, they, they use the word amazing, this amazing report. Or they, the women amazed us. And so it's, it's, you know, it's amazing. And that's kind of positive, Right? But we still don't know. We still don't know. We haven't seen Jesus. And you can almost hear them half hoping against hope that it could be true that something spectacular has happened. That something great. I mean, the women, Peter, they're they're honest people. Why would they lie about something like this? Maybe. Just maybe. 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 In verse 25, Jesus responds. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I have to be honest, this is probably one of the most disappointing summaries in all of Scripture to me. (laughs) I would love it if Luke would have just recorded the entire teaching of Jesus at this moment, even if it took as long as it took them to walk seven miles. Like, every word of this seems like it would just be a precious jewel for us, right? He he goes through all, I mean, 
he lists all of the, the Old Testament in this. Like the writings of Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible. And then the prophets, for the Jews, the prophets talk about the, the uh, former prophets, which are, are like we call them the historical books. So Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Kings, those are, the, those are the former prophets. And then the latter prophets are what we consider sort of the high, the high prophets or the classical prophets. So from, from Isaiah to the end of the Old Testament and Malachi, that, all of that Jesus reinterpreted. And then Luke says from all of the scriptures, so that would include, you know, Psalms and Proverbs and Job and all of it that pointed to, to Jesus. It just seems like it would be such a jewel. It would be so amazing to know every word that Jesus spoke, every scripture, every verse, every passage that Jesus said, here it is. Here it is clearly that the the Messiah has to suffer. Here it is clearly where it points to me. I am the one this is talking about. Ah, but we get like two verses instead. (laughs) You know, we get two sentences of uh, of what Jesus Told his disciples here, and um, we get we get a tiny bit we get a tiny bit of summary in verse twenty six where he says, "Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory?" And uh, and we read we read those words, and from our perspective, we kind of just like shrug and say, "Well, yeah, duh, yeah, of course he had to suffer," because we read through the perspective of Jesus' teaching to the church, right? We read through, through the lens of Jesus who went to the cross. And so we can point to some, some suffering Jesus passages in the Old Testament. You think about the suffering servant in, in Isaiah. And, and we just, we can't help but read about Jesus in that. Or there, there's the Psalm... I'm going to get the reference wrong. I think it's 21 that talks about, uh, it's just so clearly written from the perspective of Jesus on the cross. And uh, he, uh, you know, we read that and we just, we can't help but apply it to Jesus. But those who, who don't have the benefit of sitting where we sit in history, before Jesus went to the cross, they read those things and they thought, boy, Poor whoever is going through that. Uh, they thought maybe the author was talking about himself. Or they thought maybe the author knows somebody who's really going through a hard time. And, and they couldn't really know to apply it to Jesus. They didn't understand it. They didn't, they didn't know. And so uh, we, we can't blame them for that. We can't blame them for that. But Luke just doesn't, he doesn't give us a lot. I have a hunch as to why, but I'm going to skip it. Maybe I'll, I'll share later. Maybe I'll, I'll share on a video this week why I think Luke skipped it. Why he, he didn't give us every word. That's a teaser. Okay. So, uh, moving along to verse 28. Moving along to verse 28. uh, By this time, Luke tells us, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us, since it's getting late. 
So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Uh, this is so, it's just so awesome to me. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Jesus appears as he breaks bread, as he blesses and breaks the bread and gives it to them. These men that uh, thought that Jesus was a complete stranger, they saw Jesus when he broke bread with them. Maybe I should break bread with more strangers and see if Jesus doesn't show up. It's another, like, what was Jesus like uh, after the resurrection question, right? Like, did he change? Did they change? Was something changed? Like, how? Was it the specific way? Did he say in his blessing, this is my body broken for you? You just have to wonder, what, how, how did they recognize him? And as soon as they recognize him, as soon as they recognize him, he's gone. <laughs> and there has to be a moment of just stunned silence between Cleopas and, and his friend and probably whoever else might be in the room, right? Because if they were going home, as it says, maybe there were other people there. And everybody's just kind of looking at each other, saying, what just happened to us? Ah, love it. Verse 32. Then they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others, the others again, uh, who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord is really risen. He has appeared to Peter. So there's more evidence in Jerusalem that Jesus has risen. Somehow, Jesus walked seven miles to Emmaus and, and at some point also appeared to Peter. And Luke doesn't record where, where that happened. Um, so there's just like another sort of mysterious thing about Jesus. So uh, Cleopas and his friend, they, they hurry back to Jerusalem. They make it a 14-mile day. That's a pretty good day. Uh, and uh, the 11 confirm it. And, uh, and I am just, uh, I love, I love the words that they say to one another. Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road? and explain the scriptures to us. Because Jesus, what he did here, is he, 
these guys knew the Old Testament really well, right? These are good Jewish boys. They're good enough Jewish boys that they're looking for the Messiah. They had hoped, right, that Jesus was the Messiah. These are men who also showed up at the synagogue every week to worship God. They're men who listened any time the scriptures were being read. And their minds weren't like ours. Like, they weren't accustomed to having the written word in front of them, so they memorized it. They knew the Old Testament. They knew it better than, than the best of us knows the New Testament. They, they knew it forward and backward and inside and out. They understood there was no new passages mentioned by Jesus that day. Jesus didn't say, oh, you've just been reading over, you've glossed over these verses, you don't even know these verses, or he didn't add anything to the Old Testament on, on his walk to Emmaus. Jesus took the data that was always there, it was always there, always pointing to the suffering Jesus, and the Jews had missed it. They didn't understand that it had always pointed to a suffering Jesus. And Jesus took all that same data, all the same points, all the same passages, and he reinterpreted it for them. And their perspective was forever changed. It was new. It was different. It was, it was unlike what they had expected. It was, it was more than meets the eye. Their perception wasn't reality. And they had to have this encounter with Jesus for their for their perception to be changed. And so they say, our hearts were burning within us. There was new excitement. All of their hopes were past tense. And then the stranger comes along and he starts explaining things in a way they never imagined putting them together and pointing to Jesus in a way they never imagined that they could point to Jesus. And their hearts were burning within them. It, their hearts were burning with the hope that maybe their Jesus was the Messiah. Their hearts were burning with the hope that maybe they weren't forever going to be marked as people who followed one of the false messiahs. Their hearts were burning knowing that just maybe their past tense hopes might not be completely frustrated. Maybe they just needed a new perspective on the data. Maybe they just needed to understand it a different way. And in appearing to, to Cleopas and his friend, Jesus, he completely changed their perspective. And they could no longer go back to reading the Old Testament the same way. They could no longer look at those passages that Jesus reinterpreted for them on the walk to Emmaus and, and see them any differently than, than as pointing clearly to Jesus. And so, while there were still a lot of questions for them, there were still a lot of questions after their walk with Jesus, these disciples, they had reason to be hopeful. They had reason to think maybe they weren't fools, fooled by a false Messiah. Maybe they, maybe they still had a little bit of hope left. 
it, it often takes some of our hopes, becoming past tense hopes, to being things we had hoped for. But now we know they are never coming true. Sometimes it takes our hopes being completely frustrated in order for Jesus to completely change our perspective. Jesus tried to do all of this teaching. He tried to explain to his disciples before the cross that he was going to be crucified. He tried. It's in the Gospels. Peter says, you will never die. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's because Jesus was trying to prepare them for this. But they had their hopes built on the wrong thing. They couldn't see the truth because they were too blinded by their wrong hopes. And it's not until their hopes are completely buried in the past, killed on a Roman cross, that Jesus can correct their perspective. And he takes what has always been in front of them and he gives them a new perspective on it. And it still took Jesus showing up for them to understand it, right? It wasn't just that their hopes were crushed and then they, they understood it new, right? Uh, it, it took the church receiving the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in order for, for the whole church to understand how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus all along and a suffering Jesus at that. But it's because their hopes were crushed and then because Jesus showed up uh, that, that they're able to see the same old data in a new way. So the, the application question, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not like a really, it's not a fun question to ask. And it's not like, I don't want to, I don't want to press on a tender spot. But we have to think about the places where our hopes have been frustrated. His grace is enough for us in those. And like, as your pastor, I just want to say, I love you and I'm sorry I don't want you to hurt. I don't want I don't want your hopes to be frustrated. I want you to have the desires of your heart. I want that for for all of you. I love you and that's what I hope for. And I'm not going to I'm not going to add to the to the list of clichés that we use when our hopes get upset, right? When, when God closes a door, he opens a window. Well, I don't like climbing through windows. 
I'm not very limber. I don't, I always get dirty if I try to climb through a window, right? I don't want to add to the list of cliches. But when I see, when I see people have their hopes upset, there's a, there's a part of me that's just like an eternal optimist in God's grace. <laughs> there's a part of me that says, God can do something great here. God is, is just kind of waiting, though, for us to be ready to open up. And I think the reason it happens so often when our hopes are so disappointed is because we're, we're willing, we're, we're ready. We're, we're okay with, with him taking the data and, and repositioning it in a new way, right? And so we, we have to wait, and we have to expect that he will, and we have to listen to his voice. Jesus was recognized in the breaking of bread. <laughs> After a long walk. Some of you are on long walks with Jesus, and he's still taking all of the old data points, and he's, he's reconfiguring them. He's going to change your perspective. One of these days you're going to say, I thought, but now I can't even remember how I saw all of it that way. And, and now it's new and I see it this way and it's, it gives me all kinds of hope and it's great. And, and honestly, I think it will probably come like day by day. I hope, you know, my prayer is that the Lord shows up in, in mighty and powerful ways. And maybe just this morning, the Lord is going to do something new and great. And you are never going to be able to see things the same after this morning. May it be. But for many of us, it's just this week after week, day after day, looking for his presence, walking with him, waiting for him to reconfigure all the data so we have a new perspective on things. So I'm going to lead you into to breaking bread with Jesus. You received a cup this morning uh, when you came, but uh, some of you are probably like me and forgot to grab one. And so Gary is going to serve. Oh, the whole Clark family forgot. Thank you, Gary. So, as we prepare to sit at the table with Jesus... Let me remind you of the things I always remind you of when we come and sit at his table. It doesn't matter where it is, right? It doesn't matter. It can be in Emmaus at Cleopas' house. It can be right here. It can be wherever, wherever we are opened to hearing his voice and being in his presence. We remember, though, that, that it was Jesus himself who told us to do this take bread and wine and eat and drink in remembrance of him. 
this is his broken body and shed blood. This is his table, and the feast is for his disciples. So in our church, you don't have to be a member, you don't have to be baptized, you don't have to be baptized a Nazarene to, be, to take communion. But we ask that you take it with a sincere heart, that you'd truly be seeking God's presence as you take it. If you, if you come expecting Jesus to show up, by all means, take and enjoy. We remember through this meal the suffering and death of Jesus, his broken body and shed blood. We remember his resurrection, that his death was not the end. And we remember that he will come again. One day he will set all things right, and all of our hopes that have been frustrated will be no longer frustrated hopes, but dreams fulfilled. We also remember that when we come together, we are one. We are one with those we've prayed for today. And we are one with each other. And we are one in this place. So let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, by your mercy, you sent Jesus to live among us, to die on the cross for our sins, and to be raised by your power. We ask that as we come into his presence to be served by him, you would hear us. And we humbly ask, Lord, that you would continue to work in our hearts. Take the things that are in front of us, that are frustrated hopes, the things that we see that we wish were different, the things in our lives that we just don't really understand why they are the way they are. We pray, God, that you would take those things and that you would make them new for your glory, Lord. And so we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it and he gave thanks to you, God, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, after the meal was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks, gave it to his disciples, saying, take and drink. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Blood of the new covenant. And so, God, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Christ Jesus, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon these gifts of bread and juice, that they would become for us the body and blood of Jesus, that we may be his body, redeemed by his blood for the world we live in. It is in humility we come to you asking for your grace to be poured out upon us today. 
as we take in remembrance of our Savior. It is in his name we pray. Amen. And I remind you, Jesus' body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of him. Taking the cup, we remember Jesus' blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have been allowed to participate in this holy mystery. Thank you, God, that you are with us you love us, that you desire nothing but the best for us. We thank you, God, that you come alongside us when our hopes are frustrated, that you meet us, you walk alongside us. Lord, we love you. We want nothing more than to experience your presence in a new and amazing way. You are so good, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our worship team has prepared one last song uh, for us as we continue to reflect on Jesus' grace and mercy that's here with us. We stand and sing this closing song. As I pray for you this week, I'm going to pray that uh, you'll meet with Jesus, that you'll walk with him, and that he'll change you. You'll never, ever be the same. May he go with you. God bless you. You are dismissed.